There are business leaders that are making so much more than profit in their enterprises. They're elevating their businesses, teams, and themselves to add more value. And so can you. Welcome to the Business Elevation Show with host Chris Cooper. If you are looking for ways to elevate success while contributing to a better world, you'll want to listen for the next hour. Now here's your host, Chris Cooper. Hi, this is Chris Cooper and welcome to another Business Elevation Show on Voice America. Absolutely brilliant to be back with you again this week. Uh, another fantastic guest to, uh, to talk with. We're going to talk about fusion about how integrating brand and culture powers the world's greatest companies with um, a, a great guest today, Denise Lee Yon. Um, Denise was recommended to me by a good friend of the show and a friend of mine, uh, Stephen Morris. So I'd like to say a big thank you to Stephen for his kind introduction. If you've not listened to the show with Stephen on Curiosity uh, recently, that's been a really well-listened-to show. So do check it out uh, in the archive. Uh, now, on um, last week's show, I'd like to uh, just uh, say a big thank you to uh, Rory Devine. Now, I talked to Rory about growth hacking. And what growth hacking was about was like finding um, the real kind of element, the nugget um, uh, around where, but if you give it attention and focus, um, you can really grow your business. And uh, it might be, for example, number of clients might be important to you. And uh, he really talked about the strategy to do that. And Rory uh, was um, was voted sort of IT expert of the year, and he's by computer magazines, and he's been on the front of lots of uh, computer magazines and the like. He really knows his stuff. So if you're interested in that, if you're looking for that nugget of how you can grow your business and the way to go about doing it, then uh, do contact Rory. I'd also like to say a big, um, a big hello to um, – I checked um, uh, this week – with uh, the producer of my show, Tacey, about um, you know, looking at you know, who was accessing the show and um, where they were around the world. And I was quite surprised that last, um, last, in the last month we've had um, over 1,000 accesses from Nairobi in Kenya, which I spent some time with a couple of years ago. So if you live in Nairobi in Kenya, I, I want to say a special um, uh, hello to you and thank you for listening to the show. So let's talk about fusion. So have you noticed that leaders at companies like like, um, Starbucks and Southwest and Google, they do something different. Um, And that's really puts their organizations at the top of the most admired companies, best brands, and on the the great workplaces to to be lists. And the key to this um, is that um, what they seem to do is align and integrate culture and brand. And that gives them a real competitive advantage. It creates measurable value for customers, employees, and it future-proofs their business. The thing is, though, that most leaders don't know how to build a healthy, effective, and valuable culture. And I know that through my own work, um, and, I, and I really do see that. And I think if you listen to this show regularly, you'll know that you know building engaged workforces and culture is absolutely my passion. So it's just brilliant to be um, talking today with uh, Denise, who's written a tremendous book about it. It's called Fusion. Um, It it comes really, really highly recommended. Uh, Denise is the go-to expert on brand leadership for national media outlets. She's an incredible speaker and a consultant. She's a really influential writer. And in addition to to Fusion, she's the author of the best-selling book, What Great Brands Do, The Seven Brand Building Principles That Separate the Best from the Rest. Um, She works with news media, including Fox Business, TV, CNBC, The Wall Street Journal, it just keeps going on and on. She's a regular contributor to Harvard Business Review and Forbes. 
and she served as lead strategist at advertising agencies for Burger King, uh, for Land Rover, which um, is a business that I know because it's actually um, there's a, a factory not too far away from here. Uh, she's been the marketing leader and analyst for Jack in the Box restaurants, Spiegel catalogs. She was um, uh, went on to head Sony Electronics, first ever brand office. She was vice president, general manager of brand and strategy, where she won lots of corporate awards. And she's got some great clients, including Target, Oakley and Dunkin' Donuts. So I can't think of anyone better to talk about this uh, subject with. So a huge welcome to Denise Leon. Hello. Hi, and welcome to the show, Denise. Lovely to talk to you. And um, I believe that you live in uh, a city that I've um, I've visited and particularly like, so I'm a little bit envious, um, is in San Francisco. Yes, I do. And it is a glorious sunny day today, so I'm I'm in a good mood. <laughs> <laughs> it's an amazing place, though. I remember being there and taking a trip over to Alcatraz and you know, walking the streets and some really you know, interesting people and and characters and yes uh, sea air so and you've got a you've got a lot going on there in, in San Francisco uh, and, and do you enjoy living there because I believe you lived in San Diego a few to a year or so ago yes we just moved here about a year and a half ago and you know I would say that there are pros and cons um like a true politician right <laughs> I'll, I'll say both the both the positive and the negative I mean obviously there is so much um culture here are so many great restaurants so many things to do um the views are spectacular and I think for, from a business perspective it's been very enlightening to me to be in this area because um, with so many startups and so many technology companies um, really disrupting business, um, the way we live, the way we communicate, it's um, it's just been good for me to be in the midst of all of it and to get um, a front row seat to some of the new developments that are coming out. Um, so that's all the pros. I would just say, you know, San Diego was my home for um, the most recently 18 years, and I also lived there in the early 90s. And it, um, I, I really do consider that my home because it is um, just a beautiful place. The weather alone makes living there so pleasant and I have so many great friends and colleagues there including Steve Morris who introduced us and I miss them a lot and so um, I I think that eventually we will make our way back down there Um, but for now we are trying to live it up and um, just soak in all of the wonderful things about being here in San Francisco. Fantastic well I love talking to Steve um, and uh, we, we were chatting about San Diego and how we how he surfs, you know, yes. looks like goes to surfing at lunchtime and, <laughs> and jogging and make sure he doesn't run into uh, into cougars and bears and things like that. But it just sounds a, a, a magical place. It so, is indeed. <laughs> <laughs> so, so tell us a bit a bit about yourself, Denise. And you know, I'm particularly interested to understand. You know, how how did you get interested in marketing and brands? Because I, I believe that wasn't your sort of family typical um, sort of career path. Yeah, so, you know, um, I'm a Chinese-American, and um, both my parents were chemical engineers, and, um, you know, being, you know, typical Asian parents, I think they aspired for me to go into some sort of science or math-oriented career, Um, and, uh, you know, my older sister uh, went to MIT and was computer science and engineering major, so, you know, I, I kind of felt like I was the black sheep in that I wanted to go into more liberal arts studies and 
eventually got my degree in psychology and political science. Um, I did, I did though, marry an engineer, so I figured that that was, that was still checking off some box for my parents. Um, but, you know, I have been, I think just in general, I'm very curious about why people do the things that they do. Um, and I think that's actually kind of what led me to studying psychology in school. Um, but, you know, I think that that, in a business sense, really piqued my curiosity about brands. And when I was growing up, um, back in the 70s, Nike came onto the scene. And I think that was probably the first time that I became aware of you know, a brand per se, and how a brand could attract people to products and to kind of create this desire and this demand that um, was very emotional and, uh, you know, really attractive. And, um, you know, it's funny, I recently came across a paper that I had written back in high school about Nike and its advertising. So even way back then, I was already kind of thinking about these topics um, so, as, as I said, I went to school and just got a very general liberal arts degree, but my career in marketing started immediately following that. Actually, I sold advertising while in school for the school newspaper and then moved into a marketing role. Eventually, um, kind of got my dream job at Sony Electronics, heading up brand and strategy, and that was kind of the culmination of everything that I had aspired to up until that point. Pretty, yeah, and, and, and Sony. I mean, it it uh, it became a huge, huge brand. I'm not sure quite where it where it, it sits now, but it moved yeah. one of those organisations. Um, I worked at Mars for seven years, and there's just a few, you know, few brands around the world that were really aspirational to work for. And I think Sony, Sony, Coca-Cola, uh, Mars, maybe, um were mm-hmm. the brands. Yeah. And, you know, Chris, I think you might be fascinated to find out that when I was recruited to work at Sony, um, so this is back in the late 1990s, I was actually asked to be their first ever brand person uh, in the U.S. Like up until that point no one had really like looked after the brand. They didn't have brand managers, brand directors, you know, any strategy they had behind their brand, I think was quite, um, I don't want to say opportunistic, but just kind of organic maybe is the way I describe it. Um, But at that time, the president and chief marketing officer of Sony Electronics USA um, had determined that they, they needed someone to uh, more deliberately um, and with more discipline build the Sony brand and so they brought me on and and to your point it was kind of one of those those jobs that you just don't pass up because it was it was a, a great opportunity and I can, I can remember I don't know whether it was was that time but the um, uh, the uh, Sony uh, it was, it was the PlayStation but it was also this sort of Sony Walkman Mm-hmm. It was massive, wasn't it? And it really became a, an enormous, enormous brand. Yeah, and you know, and that's actually just from a brand perspective, a really interesting um, uh, strategic question about you know when you have a sub brand like Walkman or like their Vio computers or like their Handycam camcorders, um, uh, even their Vega TVs, like we like how much is 
the brand Sony driving the the demand and attraction? How much of it is the Walkman brand? How much of it is the combination? And how do you leverage these different brands in different ways? So it was a it was a fascinating um, assignment to be able to work on on those types of questions. And I think it's sort of fascinating today looking back on that. You know, the, it was you know having a Sony Walkman. I remember I probably still got one probably in the attic somewhere, um, which was a really, you know, cool device to have, you know, being able to put a CD and you know, <laughs> possibly take it around with you. And of right. course, you know, now it's it's really a, a kind of redundant technology with you know, <laughs> music and, you know, went to iPods and then into phones and you right. know, who would believe well, you have it in a yeah. phone. Yeah, and you know, and actually, that is a nice lead into kind of what we'll be talking about today, because I think that um, Sony, if I could be quite honest, I think up until that point, kind of took its brand advantage for granted, and so um, we were kind of very vulnerable when Apple introduces iPod and its iTunes, and um, you know, and then low end competitors were able to kind of rip off our technology in a matter of months. And so we found ourselves in a situation where we no longer had a technological advantage, and therefore we no longer had a brand advantage. And so part of my role was to um, try to reclaim that leadership. Um, and we started brand building um, by working first on our culture and the internal understanding of our brand and our brand vision. I mean, that's, that's really, you know, leads, just leads us on beautifully to you know, asking this question, you know, um, you know, you, we talk about, you know, brand culture fusion, you know, tell us just a little bit about what that is and then, you know, why every company needs it. Yeah, yeah. So brand culture fusion is the integration and alignment of your external brand identity and your internal workplace culture. When you create a mutual reinforcing kind of interdependent relationship between these two business drivers, you are able to create so much power and so much momentum for your organization. Um, and so it's it's something that can not only kind of future proof your business, but also establish a stronger competitive advantage in, in your current state. And kind of the flip side is if you are, if your brand and your culture are out of alignment, um, you know, at best, you end up kind of confusing your employees and your customers. At worst, you end up with, with huge problems like what, you know, the ones that are in the news, have been in the news, whether it's Wells Fargo or Uber, or, you know, um, where there's a huge disconnect between what you claim to be and what people find out you really are as an organization. So, so um, I completely agree, but I want to find really really fascinating about this is you, you don't you rarely in an organization get somebody apart from maybe the ceo you could argue who's who's actually responsible for brands and culture they tend to sit in different parts of the business mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and, and people tend to have you know that rather than everybody having that responsibility it's often seen as being you know quite you know quite positioned in silos in the organization so i just love the way that you're you're bringing this together Right. And, th- and that's that's really the root of the problem, I believe, is that, um, you know, culture building is usually delegated to HR, human resources, um, brand building is delegated to marketing. And, you know, the leaders of the organization feel like, OK, as long as we, we kind of check those things off our list, we're in good shape. And so it's no wonder that many companies end up with these disconnects between 
what they're trying to, you know, how they're trying to operate as an organization and then what they are communicating to their external stakeholders. Um, And so I wrote my book, Fusion, How Integrating Brand and Culture Powers the World's Greatest Companies, to show you know what? What are the dangers of it? Um, of this disconnect? How do you how do you um, avoid disconnect? And then how do you actually cultivate brand culture fusion? That sounds um, a very necessary, very important uh, concept, and uh, and I think one where you've identified that um, you know, the big companies, these ones, are really standing out are doing this really well. So really get that message that actually it's something we all need to look at and all take very seriously. So we're going to go to commercial break now. And after the commercial break, uh, we're going to find out around some of Denise's thinking about the the foundations of of fusion and some of the things we really need to consider. And then we'll kind of move into some of the strategies to really help us to do this and integrate these two very important elements. So we'll be back with you again in just a couple of minutes. So do join us again. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Would you like to work personally with the host of this show to help realize your potential? Chris Cooper supports business leaders and high-potential individuals to achieve greater success in their businesses and careers. Support includes the opportunity to join a high-return group mentoring and mastermind program called the Achiever Program. One-to-one mentoring and coaching facilitated leader development workshops and speeches. Email info at bemoreachievemore.com to arrange a free, no-obligation consultation to see how Chris and his team can help you. We hear it and read about it every day in the news. America is heading over a fiscal cliff. Home prices are still receding and unemployment growing. How can you preserve and increase your wealth in this kind of economy? Tune in to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with host Jay Taylor. Jay will explain the decline of our monetary system and the economy and will give you winning investment ideas and the tools to protect and increase your wealth. Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor can be heard Tuesdays at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. If you hear a dog barking or an angel singing, then you know that you are listening to Waking Up in America. Heard every Wednesday at 3 Pacific Time, Valerie Kirkard and all of her friends will bring you powerful and humorous discussions that raise thoughts and give you insight on how to live your life to its fullest potential. Adventure is always a must on Waking Up in America with Valerie Kirkard every Wednesday at 3 Pacific. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are tuned into the Business Elevation Show with your host, Chris Cooper. If you have a question or comment about our show, please direct your emails to chris at chriscooper.co.uk. That's chris at chriscooper.co.uk. Now back to Chris Cooper. Hi, this is Chris Cooper. I'm with Denise Lee Yon. We're talking about fusion. And yes, if you do have any you know, questions or thoughts on the show, feel free to email me. I do love to hear from people. You know, connect with me on LinkedIn or Facebook. Uh, but do uh, let me know when you do that, where you, where you hear from, uh, where you've heard of me, because it's always uh, good to know. I do get a lot of honest people I don't know just um, sending me uh, connection requests. Um, but it's um, wonderful to be talking to Denise and, and about this, uh, 
this subject that I think is just so important where we where we tend to sit in silos in organizations and we don't really see the big picture. There are parts of our business that we really need to fuse together uh, to uh, to really deliver the kind of service and kind of environment for our customers and uh, you know the, uh, the, the, kind of, the the way we want to operate uh, outside in the world. So uh, Denise, tell us a little bit about in you know, top line what what are the foundations from your perspective of you know of companies who really get fusion right. Sure. So I should preview and say that, you know, I had identified five key strategies or key steps for cultivating brand culture fusion. But I I found in my research that before you can take those steps, you as a leader of your organization need to lay a strong foundation before those steps will be successful. So the first foundational step is to set your sole purpose and core values. Then you want to assess the current state of your brand culture fusion today and identify the gaps. And then um, finally to lead the change, to accept responsibility, to take up the charge for cultivating brand culture fusion. Excellent. So um, that, that's really helpful. So I think the, the obvious next question then, Denise, is how do you best go about setting your sole purpose and, and core values? And right. It? Right. Well, the key word in that question is soul or overarching or single, meaning that you want to have one purpose and one set of core values for your organization. I think that most companies and most business leaders today know that they need to have some sort of purpose or, you know, know your why. Um, but I think that they many people go about it the wrong way. They will articulate a mission, you know, usually some sort of mission statement that an organization has that kind of sets out what the scope of the business is and and maybe, you know, set some sort of financial performance target. And, and then that they will separately maybe set some sort of aspiration like a brand purpose or a brand essence. And so they end up having these two different ideas, which again, as I said before the break, you can cause some confusion for your employees. You know, if if your mission statement is all about um, creating shareholder value through innovative, cost-effective, you know, products, but your brand purpose is all about, you know, inspiring people to live better lives. I think your your employees kind of really don't know really what is the bottom line and, and, and what are what is the what is the goal they're supposed to be going after and, and how are they supposed to be doing it. And, and and same with your customers. I think that customers these days have a lot more visibility into companies. And so when they see you have a mission statement that is very separate from your brand statement, they cause it causes them to question your authenticity. So you want to have an overarching purpose, one purpose that drives everything that you do as an organization and as a brand. So an example, Nike, their their purpose statement is to bring innovation and inspiration to every athlete. And by the way, if you have a body, you're an athlete. And um, so that idea of bringing innovation and inspiration to an athlete drives everyone in their organization, and it explains what is so appealing about their brand to customers. And in the same way, once you set an overarching purpose, you want to have a single set of core values. Again, not one set of kind of workplace values that describe how you want your people to operate and then brand values that describe the unique characteristics of your brand. You want to have a single set of core values. Now, I should say the most important thing is that your purpose and your values should be unique. You know, I think especially with values, people tend to use the same 
um, category values, you know, whether it's like integrity or respect or teamwork or, you know, agility, whatever it might be. And those may be very important to the way that your people operate, but they don't describe the unique way that you want your people to operate and the unique way that you create value in the world. So you want to make sure that your purpose and your core values are distinctive and really capture what makes you different from other companies. Do you, so do you have some examples of that? Because I, I think uh, you're obviously right. You see the same, often see the same values, but occasionally you, you see people who've got some, you know, maybe different, quite funky ones that are quite, uh, quite engaging. Um, sure. Well, you know, so I think um, maybe a, a good example that that may be fairly well known is Google. They um, have core values. They actually call their values uh, 10 things we know to be true. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, one of their things they know to be true uh, is, um, you know, you can be serious without a suit. And I think that, you know, what they're saying is that, hey, you can be performance driven and, um, uh, you know, take quality very seriously, but let's have some fun and let's be casual and real and um, maybe, uh, yeah, more more um, laid back in our approach. And now they could have like said something like, we're fun. You know, but I think every organization (laughs) wants to be fun, you know, so I think that the way that they even the way they articulate their idea, um, you can be serious without a suit, um, I think says something about the way that they operate. They also say, you know, great just isn't good enough. And I think that really articulates how passionate they are about the quality and the perfection of what they do. I love that. I always remember, I think it was probably... You know, back in the 19, 19, late 1980s when I was doing my, de- my degree, but I remember re- you know, the qu- a quote from, uh, I forget his name, uh, former chairman of uh, British Airways saying that his biggest uh, regret in his career was not taking a man in a woolly jumper seriously, i.e. Richard Branson. Um, <laughs> 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 it was Colin Marshall, I think. Um, uh, so, yeah, I mean, that's yes. a, a lovely way, isn't it, to... To articulate that, and I mean, how how do I'm just kind of interested with values in that sometimes it's the values of the leader who sets the organ mm. that sets the tone, and it's their values. And um, how important is it to be? Should it be their values? Should it be the company values? Should it be values that attract the type of people you want into the business? How, how do you best assess that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I do think that your values need to be. Uh, tied to your vision for the company and and the the value that you want to create for the world and um, you need to kind of work backwards from there and say that you know if if we um, aspire to so you mentioned virgin okay so if if the virgin brand aspires to kind of challenge the status quo and kind of shake up industries and you know do things differently then they're going to need to embrace values that are that that encourage risk-taking, that encourage um, kind of doing outrageous things, you know. Um, and and so as a leader, you want to clearly articulate those desired values. Now, I should say that you can't um, – I think one of the biggest mistakes is declaring that these are your values and 
uh, not recognizing that they may not be the reality that you're operating in today. You know, um, I, I, I think you need to be, have a very sober assessment of where you are relative to where you want to go. And also, um, again, take the responsibility for leading your organization to make the changes necessary to get there. Um, So you can prescribe like aspirational values. I mean, they need to be realistic, but I think they can be aspirational. Um, But it's a matter of then recognizing that you need to cultivate a culture that is aligned with those values. Yeah. Yeah, and, and I suppose also realize be able to accept the consequences. If uh, you know, if, if if being outrageous is one of your values, then when one of your if your employees chooses to take that value and be outrageous, and uh, it it upsets the customer or something, you've got to be, you've got to have that consistency, haven't you? So everybody understands what it really means. Yes, it, absolutely. Um, you know, uh, I think for your values to really make a difference, um, they need to be kind of those um, like the, those decision points or the, those kind of uh, yes or no types of, of filters that people use for their behaviors and their attitudes. Um, I, I, I'm trying to remember, this is going to be so bad that I'm not remembering who I quoted in my book, but there's this great quote from someone who says, um, oh, Patrick Lencioni. He says that when properly practiced, values inflict pain, meaning that they're going to force you to do things that are uncomfortable. And maybe sometimes you're going to have to let people go because they're they are not embracing your values. Or maybe you're going to do things that are a little bit risky. But that's the purpose of values is to, to, to keep you moving in the direction that you want to go. And, and is it important to, to really you know, continuously measure people or um, make sure they really kind of live and breathe by putting them in the walls and having them in, in appraisals or reviews with, with staff and, you know, really bring, building them into induction programs so it becomes very much part of the, the way of doing things and uh, acts as a guide or because so often they just, you know, sit in a document or sit on a wall and you ask a senior executive and they can't even remember them. Right. Well, and and so that's part of the um, one of the foundations I talked about was you know, leading the change. And as a leader, you need to communicate what those values are, and then you need to role model them. Um, you need to make sure that you are living them out. And I think people learn. Your people will learn best when they see you taking those kinds of actions that you want them to. You know. And I um, later on the book I write about Alan Mulally, um, who led the turnaround at Ford Motor Company. And I think he's probably one of the best examples of role modeling the behaviors that he wanted the rest of the leaders and the rest of the organization to really adopt. You you can't expect people to do things that you won't do yourself. Yeah, yeah. so so you've got to walk the talk and uh, then people will follow and, and understand better about the interpretation of them. Um, yes. So, so does this, I mean, does this, to really live those values, is if there's a, a number of things, I don't know, that are, that a leader should maybe meditate on in the morning is one of the, is one of those things uh, you know reminding themselves of what the values are each day. You know that's actually that, that's actually a great per, uh, a practice. I, I don't necessarily talk about that in um, the book, but I think that every every behavior, every decision that a leader makes needs to be made through the through the the lens of your values. And if you do it enough. 
Um, and maybe if you, you know, bake it into certain everyday practices like meditation or maybe at the end of the day wrap up, they become second nature to you, you know, so that over time they become very intuitive. Um, but just like with anything, any change that you want to make in your life, you need to be deliberate about it. So you need to find the practices that will help you do that. I interviewed on the show um, a vice president of Ritz-Carlton a, so two or three years ago, and um, I think you know, that's a really interesting organization, the, the sort of market hotel chain, in that they have a ritual every morning where 10 plus 9, doesn't matter who you are, whether you're in the, you're in the, in the boardroom or whether you're um, you know, cleaning hotels, um, you have your huddles and you remind yourself of the values and, and uh, in a, ideally in an in innovative way each day. And then you uh, have a think about how to fulfill your anticipated expectations of your customers that day. Um, that seems very clever. I think their view is that people don't need to be told. We all need to be reminded. Um, and I thought that was quite a, you know, a very neat way to keep embedding them day in, day out, because we forget. Right. Them. Right. You know, they do need to be authentic, though. You know, I was just speaking to uh, uh, um, the high potential employees of a large retail company and um, speaking about f brand culture fusion. And at the end of my talk, um, we I was having some interaction with with the participants and um, they were talking about different cultural practices that they implement. And one of them made the observation that they do those morning huddles like you described that Ritz Carlton does, but right now they are um, very uh, formulaic and almost generic. You know, they celebrate people's birthdays, they acknowledge an anniversary, you know, those kinds of things where they are not necessarily talking about the business and you know, kind of recapping what went well yesterday, what didn't go so well, you know, what's ahead of us tomorrow, what are the long-term challenges and opportunities that we need to have in mind. Um, you know, and she said, you know, now having thought about this and gone, you know, gone through this content with me, she's like, I, we really need to rethink how we do these huddles so that they are very focused on our values and linked to our business specifically. So I think, you know, um, one of the things that I think I, I caution against all business leaders is you, you don't adopt practices like a daily huddle just because you heard from someone else that it was a good idea. Really think about what, what are the behaviors and the attitudes that you want to cultivate in your people and then adopt the practices that you think will most help you move in that direction um, because not, not everyone maybe a huddle isn't right for you you know but it's like but, but maybe it is it's really determining how you what is the desired outcome and then designing the experience in order to achieve that outcome does that make sense absolutely and <clears throat> as I could imagine in some yeah, some in organisations where you know, you know, you have stars of people who don't particularly enjoy being in meetings. So it's, it's quite <laughs> for them. I suppose you could end up with you having a huddle every day, attracting um, attracting a large audience and a large number of extroverts into the business, and not having <laughs> the the rigidity or you know backbone that you need from having all, all people types, perhaps. Right. Right. Yeah. <laughs> it's. Uh, it's, it's an interesting, an interesting thought, but yeah, I guess you've got to look at what what works best for your organisation. So you, 
it's attractive. Right. uh, Right. And that actually leads to, I think, what we were going to talk about, which was the, the third, the one, the third foundational step I talked about, which is assessing your brand culture fusion. Um, You really want to pinpoint where, what are the areas that you need to work on? You know, where are the biggest gaps between your brand and your culture? Um, In my book, I highlight um, four different areas. You know, one of them is your purpose and values integration. You know, so how well are your purpose and values integrated into your daily life? Um, Another area is employee brand engagement. You know, how deeply connected are your employees to your brand? But, you know, you need to kind of be very precise about where your gaps are and where you fill and how you fill them. And through my, um, I have an online assessment tool that's free. Um, You can go in and take the assessment and that'll help you pinpoint where those areas are. So, um, you know, if you don't know where you're going, you might end up somewhere else. I think that was a Yogi Berra quote. Um, So the, the third, the third foundation is definitely assess where you are today and map out a plan for getting you to where you want to be. Excellent. That sounds perfect. And then if you want to take that assessment, um, uh, Denise's website is deniseleon.com. Correct? Yep. So yep. Get, you got where, it. Yeah. Better go and get that and uh, and take that. That sounds like well worth doing um, a, a free assessment tool there that can help you uh, to uh, to assess your brand culture fusion. So we're going to go to a commercial break again now. After the break, I want to talk about you know, some of the different strategies to help you achieve fusion, and we'll we'll uh, overview those. I'm sure Denise will, but then we'll. We'll focus in on, on, on two or three of them, depending upon how much time we've got left. And uh, the rest of them, there's a great book you can buy to, uh, to discover the rest. So we're back again with you in just a couple of minutes. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. Dialogue is the single most powerful leadership tool we have to make a difference in the world. Leading conversations with host Cheryl Esposito creates a place for that dialogue. Tune into the Voice America Business Channel every Friday as Cheryl hosts new conversations among leaders from around the world in business, government, art, economics, and social change. We'll explore big ideas and everyday actions and learn how their own leadership has led them to discover a newfound sense of possibility in the world. Leading conversations with Cheryl Esposito, bringing big thinkers together in conversations that make a difference right here on the Voice America Business Channel every Friday morning at 10 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. Would you like to work personally with the host of this show to help realize your potential? Chris Cooper supports business leaders and high potential individuals to achieve greater success in their businesses and careers. Support includes the opportunity to join a high return group mentoring and mastermind program called the Achiever Program one-to-one mentoring and coaching, facilitated leader development workshops and speeches. Email info at bemoreachievemore.com to arrange a free, no-obligation consultation to see how Chris and his team can help you. The business community's first choice in Internet talk radio, Voice America Business Network. You are tuned into the Business Elevation Show with your host, Chris Cooper. If you have a question or comment about our show, please direct your emails to chris at chriscooper.co.uk. That's chris at chriscooper.co.uk. Now back to Chris Cooper. 
Hi, this is Chris Cooper. I'm with Denise Leon. We're talking about fusion, about integrating brand and and culture. And uh, you know, we should be doing this because the best companies are doing this, and uh, they are literally uh, leading the field. So this is really important stuff. So let's talk now, Denise, about uh, the different strategies. And you mentioned five in your book. I don't think we've got time to uh, cover them all, but maybe top line, you could just you know, articulate to us what they are and what they mean. And then I'll, I will go into a little bit more detail on, on a couple of them or so. That sounds great. Okay. So number one, organize and operate on brand. I mean, use your organizational design and your operational processes to cultivate your cultural priorities. Number two is to create culture changing employee experiences. Um, there's been a lot of attention play, uh, put on customer experience, and I would argue you need to do the same for employee experience. Number three is sweat the small stuff, uh, it, meaning your policies, your procedures, your rituals, your artifacts, all the little things of your daily organizational life that actually can add up to make a big impact on your culture. Number four is to ignite your transformation through employee brand engagement. You don't just want your employees to be generally engaged. You really want to engage them with your brand. And then finally, the fifth strategy is more about using your brand uh, to influence, using your culture to influence your brand. And that is about building your brand from the inside out. Excellent. So some great um some great sort of thoughts there, and I'm um, sort of think where should we go? Let's let's talk about um, how you best organise and operate on brand. I think um, that's quite interesting. Firstly, you just need to understand what that what that actually means. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah, as I said, one, this is is about using your organizational design and your operational processes to convey and reinforce your cultural priorities. So organizational design, I mean your the your organizational structure, your standards, your roles, your hierarchy, basically your org chart, right? Um, and then your operational processes, your day-to-day processes, whether that's planning, budgeting, sales, you know, customer strategy, um, you want to use those to cultivate your desired culture. And I know this may be surprising or confusing to folks. In fact, I recently um, had a comment on an article that I wrote uh, about this topic saying that, you know, um, it doesn't seem like uh, organizational design and process has anything to do with culture or emotion. And I would actually argue that it has a lot to do. You know, if you want, for example, your company to be, um, your organization to become more um, service oriented, well, you know, maybe you need to establish certain roles in your organization that are specifically designed to innovate new service ideas, new service standards, um, new value-added services. Maybe you need to establish a role that's kind of a service captain for, for certain touch points that you might have. And then operational processes. Maybe you need to have um, implement a process where you are cultivating more empathy for your customers, helping all of your employees understand what your customers want and need so they can serve them better. Or you know, maybe even, um, I don't know if you call it a process so much as a standard. We talked about Ritz-Carl before. Well, they have a, a, um, a practice where they empower any employee to spend, I think it might be up to $2,000 US to rectify a problem if a 
if a guest identifies it to them. And that's just a really good example of saying, hey, we are going to build into the way that we operate a practice that will ultimately achieve our service culture. So I, I do believe that oftentimes people think about culture as um, an input to operational excellence. You know, if we have a good culture, then we'll be able to operate well and we'll be able to achieve our goals. And that's true. I also think that culture can be an output. If you design your organization in a specific way and you cultivate certain processes that get your people to work in certain ways, you can produce the kind of culture that you're looking for. So that's what I mean by organize and operate on brand. I think there's a a couple of things that that sort of uh, really you know brought up for me. I think the first one is is you, you talk about organisational design, and you know I've seen I've seen organisations where, for example, you know engagement is important, which uh, I believe in, but they have a head of engagement, so it's like mm-hmm. uh, you know, it's just, it, engagement should be everybody's responsibility, not just uh, <laughs> necessarily the head of engagement. So people meet him, and it's like or her, and it's like come on, engage me. Um, right. So, so <laughs> that maybe or maybe doesn't work. And then the, the second thing around the you know, processes and Ritz Carlton, I had um, had a big birthday a couple of weeks ago, and we were we ordered some. Um, some, some fizzy fizzy case of fizzy wine uh, to be delivered and it didn't show up so about two two or three days earlier before the, the my birthday I called them and said look it's 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 not arrived and I thought it's really interesting because there's an opportunity mm. it's my it's my 50th birthday so it was quite so I ex- explained I thought it's a real opportunity here because they said um, and it was Costco I'm going to mention them mm, um, mm-hmm. and uh, they said um, you know we, we just, unfortunately in a couple of days we just can't get wine to you I don't think but I'll call you back and and let you know and they didn't call me back and about a week later I heard got a message here oh sorry I've been away on holiday I've um I just wanted to check whether you actually had ever ever you know got your your, your wine the following week and I thought you know there's a real opportunity here to to absolutely for somebody to take some ownership and for to to, to make that happen uh, and what they don't know is I don't they don't mm. radio show and uh, and how many people <laughs> listen to it <laughs> So um, hopefully there's you know there's an opportunity for, for Costco to have a think about that. How do you 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 know develop a, a culture whereby you can offer exceptional service and uh, and delight people rather than disappointing them on their special occasions? Right, right. Yeah, you know it's um it, it's that again is kind of the le- one of the leadership responsibilities is that you can't expect your people to be able to solve problems or to you know go out of their way to be able to deliver make a delivery a special delivery like this if you're not setting up like the certain process and the certain organization and 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 empowering your employees in that way so it's it's definitely something you have to be very deliberate about as a leader you see people like Zappos, you know, great examples there. I've got some great examples of Ritz doing the same thing. Exceptional service because those people have been empowered to make it happen. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. So let's talk about um, then about culture changing, you know, best creating sort of culture changing employee experiences. What's what's that all about? Is that what we're talking about now? <laughs> yes, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> so, you know, if you think about it, um, in many ways you want to um, engage your employees under the same principles that you'd engage your customers. You know, you want to attract them, uh, attract the ones who fit your organization and fit your brand and your vision. Um, You want to um, get them to internalize what your brand is all about. And um, then you want them to, you know, on a day-to-day basis or, you know, on a touch point basis, really experience 
this desired culture. And so you want to design and develop employee experience much in the same way you would customer experience. It starts by, um, you know, the, the, the employee journey map, uh, starting from the very moment that the employee considers joining you as, as a prospective employer all the way th- you know, through recruitment, onboarding, training, all the daily experiences an employee has through the end of their employment. Um, so you want to be able to kind of map out that journey and then identify discrete segments of employees because not all employees are the same, just like not all customers are the same. Different employees will have different needs and you can reach and engage them in different ways. And then you want to, um, you know, adopt a design model that helps you determine, you know, what are these, what are your employees going to be experiencing on a day, experiencing on a daily basis? In my book Fusion, I talk about one example from Airbnb, uh, where their brand is all about belonging. You know, in fact, they have this brand campaign, "Belong Anywhere." Well, the leaders of the organization knew that, you know, if they expect their guests and their hosts to feel like they belong while their employees must feel like they belong first. So they've created an employee experience that really emphasizes this feeling of belonging. It starts from the moment someone starts interviewing for a job where the recruiter is really trying to get to know the person as a person and talking about their values so that they experience from the very start that this is about you're joining something, you're becoming a part of something and belonging to something. Um, They design their workplace so that it reinforces that you are um, you belong to this international community of guests and hosts, and that we're all working together. Their onboarding um, process um, has every employee going through some sort of um, direct contact with guests and hosts, so they can um, understand the problems and the issues and the ways that Airbnb solves those. And again, reinforces this idea of belonging. So through everything that the employee experiences at Airbnb, they get the sense of belonging. And that's what I mean by creating culture, changing employee experiences. Yeah, that, that makes makes an awful lot of sense. There's a lot to think about, isn't there? It's not, it is, not- and you have to be deliberate. You know, it's, it's amazing. Like, uh, I think that employment branding um, has become very uh, a very popular topic where people are very deliberate about how they recruit or how they attract potential employees. But that's almost like they then turn off the, you know, turn off the strategy and they just kind of let the day-to-day experience of an employee just happen. Um, well, you can't do that. Um, just as you wouldn't let just customer experiences just happen, you need to be deliberately designing and managing them. Mm. Yes, yes. You've really got to, you've got to hold this, haven't you, as part of your, you know, your core kind of strategy of your business. It's got to be almost a, a pillar of your business to keep on uh, leveraging this across you know, every channel of your business that it's appropriate in every, every, every key activity and function. Yeah. And, you know, I, one of the things I always say is that brand culture fusion is a journey. It's not a destination. And, and what I mean by that is that I don't think you'll ever be finished or you'll be able to kind of check it off and say, okay, we, you know, we've done that. You know, we did our program. Um, but rather it's a, it's a, it's a way of thinking and a way of approaching running your business on a day-to-day basis that you continue throughout, always looking to improve and innovate and refine what you're doing so that your culture uh, continues to be cultivated. Excellent. Well, we've got probably a couple of minutes now until I need to sort of wrap up uh, the show, really, and talk about next Mm -hmm. week and and, uh, thank you and that sort of thing. And I was was really interested, you know, you've you've written this great book, Fusion, and uh, I do think it's, I do think it's uh, a really important piece of work, and 
and uh, something that uh, people really need to take seriously. And I'm kind of intrigued, you know, what's uh, what's next, and uh, you know, what are the type of clients that you you like to work with, and how do you help them? And um, just tell us a bit about you. And yes. Well, Chris, thanks so much for asking. I really appreciate it. Um, you know, I um, earlier we were talking and you said that you love your work. I, I love my work, too. I love what I do. Um, I love inspiring and teaching business leaders how to build great brands and create exceptional organizations. And the way that I'm doing that most right now is through speaking engagements, um, keynote presentations at either industry conferences or corporate events where I can really help business leaders understand this idea of integrating and aligning brand and culture. And it's a message that really, I think, applies to every kind of organization out there. And in fact, in in my book, Fusion, I I write about a range of different kinds of organizations, B2C, B2B, startups, um, very long-standing established companies. I even talk about nonprofits and faith-based organizations. I think every organization um, has the potential to to engage their employees and engage their customers or their members or their you know their external stakeholders in a more meaningful, valuable, and sustainable way. And if I can do that through um, one of these keynote presentations, then I feel like that is. If I can help them do that through one of these keynote presentations, then I feel like um, I'm fulfilling my purpose. So. Um, you know, I, I would love the opportunity to share this message with with folks, and you know, just encourage people to um, read the book Fusion. It's um, available uh, in hardcover as well as uh, ebook and Audible. So you, you uh, have different ways in to learn about brand culture fusion. Well, Denise, it's been an absolute pleasure to interview you. I think it's a really important subject. It's, it's a great book, uh, Fusion. I recommend people go out and check that out. Uh, go to deniseleon.com if you want to find out more about Denise. Look at how to book her to speak. And on next week's show, um, I'm delighted to say we've got around-the-world record-holding cyclist Mark Beaumont. He took 40 days off the world record, cycled 238 miles a day, um, averaged over 78 and a half d- uh, days. An amazing story. And we're talking about creating leaps in performance um, so I strongly recommend that you, if you're interested in um, creating leaps in performance, there's something for everybody, um, whether you like cycling and sport and, and whatever. So do join us again next week on the show. Thanks again to Denise Leon. Uh, any questions, comments, uh, feel free to email me at chris at chriscooper.co.uk. We thank you for listening to the Business Elevation Show. Please join your host, Chris Cooper, again next Friday at 8 a.m. U.S. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Be more. Achieve more.